everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hate Read. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. Every fortnight here on Hate Read, one of us challenges the other to read a book that we think they'll hate. This fortnight, I challenged Anna to read Tortilla Flat by John Steinbeck. So first things first, Anna, did you finish the book? I did, somehow. It was a miracle. But yes, I did finish this book. It was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> really, I did not think it was that bad. I, as we uh, discussed in a previously recorded but future episode, <laughs> a very strong hatred for John Steinbeck, which is not at all related to his writing style, but more of like the contents of his writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> so I was already struggling with that. And then it was like very reminiscent of assigned reading in school. So I yeah. was like, yeah, for sure. I don't want anything to do with this. I didn't even read the books I was assigned to in college. Like, why would I read this <laughs> for fun? <laughs> See, I, I, yeah, I definitely had the assigned reading feel. I was definitely like, okay, I got to get through this. I need to be able to do my report on this tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I need to be able to talk about the motifs in this book. Right, right. Like I was like, oh, what are the themes? Oh, what are the symbols? Drunk. (laughs) That's the theme. Drunk. (laughs) Yeah, the symbol, the theme is drunk. The symbol is wine. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Ugh. Uh, so this wasn't the most enjoyable fortnight I've ever had. No. <laughs> well, let's be real. This wasn't the most enjoyable like past three days because I don't yeah. read the books ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I finished this seven minutes before we started recording. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, and, and it's one of those books, again, that's a little bit frustrating perhaps for our readers be- or our listeners. Ooh, is anyone reading our podcast? Um <laughs> For our listeners, because, um, again, there's not, like, a ton going on in this story that is, like, summary worthy. It's kind of composed of a series of scenes or vignettes that are happening. And it's funny, did you uh, read our our fan mail that we got this week? Oh, my gosh, our first fan mail. And by fan mail, I mean your husband sending us an email. (laughs) He's did you so, read this? He's so dutiful. Just, <laughs> no, but did you read it, though? I did read it. I don't remember exactly what it said other than feeling vaguely annoyed, but that's how I usually <laughs> feel about him. So, like, let's no, pull it out. Was, it was an anonymous... Here, I, I've got it up. Hold on. Okay, hold on. yeah. I know most people probably do this at the end of their episodes, but we're going to do it at the beginning because it's so special. Well, because it, it relates to the fact that this isn't really a book that we can summarize very much. Yeah. So this is... Uh, the email we got. Uh-huh. Hi, Hate Readcast, longtime listener, second time emailer. I have listened to all of your episodes and I had a note as someone who is following along. I noticed you gals use a lot of pronouns when going over the stories and it is sometimes hard to follow along with all the hijinks. In future podcasts, could you keep in mind that some of your listeners haven't read the books and might need help following the story using name repetition and labels more frequently given the audio format? Or you could put some kind of funny character guide in the description on the audio. Or you could create an entire wiki with maps and spreadsheets. Thanks, Anon. <laughs> what a Which... butt. First of all, his first email, it's his second time email. His first email was literally just, hello. <laughs> um, I mean, we don't want to discourage anybody else listening from writing in and, like, Giving, giving us, us constructive input. criticism, but... And and I, I wanted to bring this up now because, yeah, like, 
okay, noted, too many pronouns, got it, but um, there's, I feel like this one is going to be somewhat confusing just because there's not much plot. So yeah. it's kind of like, sorry, we're, we're going to ignore you for this episode, but in the future, <laughs> we will try. <laughs> we will try our best. We'll make very beautiful spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Color coordinated. We'll email them just to you, anonymous yes. <laughs> emailer. <laughs> Uh, actually considering anonymous emailers career maybe he should be the one making that was kind of my thought too if he makes spreadsheets he can read the damn books and make some spreadsheets for us yeah yeah let's let's call him out here right now um (laughs) if you are really serious about being our number one fan we will see some visualized data on these books sometime soon thank you <laughs> Put that PhD to work. <laughs> okay, so anyways, this book. Do yeah. we really just talk about it? Can we just I like guess. I kinda just like I almost don't even want to talk about it. I want more just want to talk about the ideas around it, but Well yes, I was reading um I was doing a lot of really intensive research on this book by reading the very short Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. And apparently he wrote a forward to a later version of this book. Oh, I have that one. The 1937 version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one I was reading. Yeah, so that's the one where I, I don't think I, I think I, I don't know what version I read, but it certainly didn't have this foreword. Mm-hmm. Um, but he basically says that, like, it did not occur to me that Paisanos were curious or quaint, dispossessed or underdogish. They are people whom I know and like, people who merge successfully with their habitat, good people of laughter and kindness, of honest lusts and direct eyes. If I have done them harm by telling a few of their stories, I am sorry, it will never happen again. Which is like, not really an apology. (laughs) Yeah, that's also missing the big part of this foreword where he talks about how he was really good friends with this little uh, Piojo, which, you know, was a nice, kind, brown little boy who lived alone with his elder sister, who was, as they called him, a whore lady, or as they called her, a whore lady. Oh, how nice. He goes into great detail about their life and how, how, like, how much fun they had going over to his house and um, getting water out of the toilet, because that's where they got their cooking water from. And I mean, like... Wonderful. Wonderful. So you missed the whole, like, I have black friends moment in this forward. Uh, I, you know what? I'm really glad I did. <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't have to yeah. read through that. I could barely make it through the original preface of this book that he wrote for the book as part of the book. Like, <laughs> He also calls um, the people who are into this book for the wrong reasons literary slummers, which I mm. feel should be our tagline. Ooh, I like that. Right? Hate read literary slummers. Right? That's, That's essentially good. what we're doing. Can someone put that on a t-shirt for us? Hey. Send us a t-shirt. Yeah, send us a t-shirt. Is um, it, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Aren't we supposed to start making t-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> Not begging our few listeners to dress us? This is a different kind of podcast. This is a podcast <laughs> where you for 2018 where our listeners owe us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I think no it's just it's kind of like you know um what's the character's name Pilon am I saying that correctly I, I think that's correct Pilon. yeah Pilon how he, he like works through all of this crazy logic as well to yes. <laughs> to make it to justify his thieving and drinking <laughs> um such as my 
gift of logic that our listeners must send us (laughs) t-shirts with our taglines on them. (laughs) It is the right and moral thing to do. Correct. I mean, really, do you, you were going to spend the money anyway, Mm -hmm. might as well. Isn't it better to gift your friends than it is to keep selfishly for yourself? We're really giving you a gift by asking you to send us things because we're giving you the opportunity to give generously, which will make Mm -hmm. you feel better about yourself. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Incidentally, that is also an annoying, obnoxious thing to say and a summary of about 80% of the hijinks in this book. Yeah, yeah. The quote unquote hijinks, which are essentially ways I can steal money to buy wine during (laughs) prohibition. (laughs) Which is like, cool, I get it. But also, I don't know if I need to read a 300 page book about it. Yeah, it was a lot of same, same. But, okay, so I guess I'll do my best to summarize this book. (laughs) Now that we're like 10 minutes into this podcast. Yeah, well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Professional podcasting. Um, So I guess the main character of this book, well, I guess, okay, the main character of this book is Danny's house, I guess, to be fair. (laughs) Um, But Danny himself, the person that owns the house, he is a... um, Paisano, who has just come back from war. And um, I believe this takes place after World War One. But yes. let me pull up here how John Steinbeck defines Paisanos so that we're all on the same page. Um, what is a Paisano? He is a mixture of Spanish, Indian, Mexican, and assorted Caucasian bloods. His ancestors have lived in California for a hundred or two years. He speaks English with a Paisano accent and Spanish with a Paisano accent. When questioned concerning his race, he indignantly claims pure Spanish blood and rolls up his sleeve to show that the soft inside of his arm is nearly white. His color, like that of a well-browned Meerschaum pipe, he ascribes to sunburn. He is a Paisano, and he lives in that uphill district above the town of Monterey called Tortilla Flat, although it isn't a flat at all. Also not made out of tortillas. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most disappointing thing about this book. Tortilla Flat is not a real place made out of tortillas. (laughs) Oh my god. It is a town, though, in Arizona. Huh. In the Superstition Mountains. Ooh, spooky. In Maricopa County. Hmm. Anyway, I'll read about that later, I suppose. So Danny comes back from war to discover that his grandfather has left him two houses upon his grandfather's death. Danny, for some reason, immediately forgets that fact and gets insanely drunk, (laughs) vandalizes. It's not for some reason. It's that every character in this book is a moron. Yes, every character in this book is not the most intelligent person I've ever met before. He immediately decides to spend all of his money on wine and gets drunk and behaves in such a disorderly fashion that he is sent to jail where he and the jailer get drunk and leave the jail together to drink more wine. (laughs) And (laughs) as the jailer falls into a drunken stupor, Danny escapes, runs into the woods, and comes across his old friend from before the war, Pilon, who they have this discussion, and through the discussion, Danny remembers he owns two houses and invites Pilon to live in the second house, 
um, because apparently it is a great status symbol for one to not only own a home, but to be able to rent that home. So he tricks Pilon into renting this home from him for $15 a month, um, which Pilon knows that he'll never be able to pay, and Danny knows that Pilon will never be able to pay, but whatever. <laughs> Probably not as low by like 1900 standards, but... Let's see what it was worth. $15 in... This was after World War One, so in like, let's just say the 1920s to round up. Sure, yeah. So that would have been about $195.65 in today's money. Okay, so that's like a very, very low rent That's anyway. a pretty cheap house. So yeah, so 15 bucks for, for a month's rent. That's not too bad, I guess. Um, except that everyone apparently in Tortilla Flat is unemployed and has no way to gain money. Yeah, Except the economy for by there doing seems odd jobs. Very, very strange. Um, yeah. Like, things seem to be kind of priced at random. <laughs> and, yeah, no one works. They just kind of deal things and then sometimes yeah. buy those things from each other. It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strange economy. It is very confusing. <laughs> I just kind of went with the flow. <laughs> When yeah. it came to the money conversation. So Danny invites Pilon to live in his second home. And Pilon immediately, well, not immediately, but Pilon then goes out and finds a third friend, Pablo, I think. Is yeah, that, Pablo, yeah. who was Pilon and Pablo and Danny all signed up for the war together. So they were friends mm-hmm. before they went up to war. And Joe Pilon Portuguese. And Pablo. No, he wasn't. He didn't go with them to sign up. He oh, was, I thought he, he was, was in the war. But it was Pablo Because they had this this line at the end of the preface that said, um, and Big Joe, as shall be later made clear, went to jail. (laughs) So I think I think it was Pilon, Big Joe, and Danny who signed up together, but Pablo was was also their friend from before. I don't know. Hold on. Oh no, you're right. Gosh darn, you read this book so much better than I did. I'm a very close reader. I don't remember anything from this book. Okay. It's probably for the best. So Pilon comes across Pablo somewhere, like in the in the woods, because apparently, yeah, like apparently seventy five percent of the people in Tortilla Flat just sleep outside in the woods, yeah, where they can find some pine needles, I suppose. And so he comes across Pablo. He tricks him out of some wine, and then says, "Hey, for the low price of fifteen dollars a month, I will let you live with me in the house I'm renting from Danny." They kind of go on in this manner where they keep recruiting friends to come live with them under the guise of the last guy will pay the rent for us. So I think by the time everything is said and done, we have Danny, the homeowner, and then Pilon, Pablo, Jesus Maria, the pirate, Big Joe. No, not the pirate, just oh, pirate. just pirate, my mistake. <laughs> pirate and then Big Joe. Which here's, here's my question about Pilon. Well, are we going to get into how each of them came to the house, or are we just going to skip over that? Um, I guess we can, because, well, okay, so Pilon and Pablo, we kind of discussed. Well, and pirate. then they burn the house down. Oh, yes. yeah, and then yeah, they, they burn they the, burn house the down. second house down by leaving a candle. <laughs> well, I think that's once they have Jesus Maria with them. Yeah, right? so once, yeah. They, once they trick Jesus Maria into coming to live with them, which is a very similar situation to Pablo. Like, they find him in the street, and they drink. they trick him into giving them wine and they all get drunk and fall asleep and burn the house down. Um, <laughs> wow. While, while Danny is next door sleeping with 
the woman that lives next door at her house. I was confused by that as well, like the geography of this, because at one point they say that Danny's first house, so we'll call it like house A and house B, right? Mm-hmm. So house A is next door. get those door. pronouns in. <laughs> house A is next door to uh, Mrs. Morales's house and mm-hmm. shares like this so they can cut a hole in the fence and steal her chickens and whatever. Yes. Um, but then House B is also... No, Emily, they borrow the chickens. Oh, right, sorry, sorry. They borrow the chickens. Uh, but then House B is also next door to Mrs. Morales' house, and they can steal chickens from there. So is, like, Mrs. Morales' house behind the houses, and it's just, like, a bigger lot and connected to the two? Or is yeah, it, like, I, I didn't understand how I that was physically possible. I envisioned it as, like, a little compound with the two houses, either the it, house A and house okay. B next to each other or one behind the other, just, like, okay. somehow in the same yard, and they were fenced in together. Okay. And then Mrs. Morales lived, lived next door. I'm willing to accept that as an yeah. explanation. I, it's all very higgledy-piggledy. I don't... <laughs> There was there was not a city planner involved in the creation of the no. plots. I don't think. <laughs> uh, sadly, I don't believe there was. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the wild wild west down there, <laughs> in regards to real estate. I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Hazy's Maria they trick into living with them, and then Pirate is the fourth one, who poor Pirate is this. Mentally disabled character, I believe he was being portrayed as. Um, he was described in the book as his, what what did they say? Like his head had grown too big for his brain or something. Yeah. Or his head grew too like fast. That. Yeah. Or something. Something, <clears throat> I don't know, just really goofy. But the implication being that pirate um, was not capable of making, he's very culpable to to the wiles of Danny and his gang. Um, and so Pirate was this very hardworking individual who lived in a chicken coop with five dogs. And every day he would take his wheelbarrow and go out into the woods to chop firewood or some sort of like kindling or something. Kindling, I think. Yeah, yes. Kindling. That earned him a quarter every day. And he was saving his quarters because he once had a dog. <laughs> he once had a dog that got sick. Um, and he prayed to St. Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. who is the patron saint of animals, um, to help save this dog. And the dog immediately started to show signs of getting better. Um, and so he vowed to buy a golden candlestick and dedicate it to St. Francis at the church one day, which I think was going to cost him a thousand quarters. <laughs> but apparently like the dog got better and then was hit by a car and <laughs> killed like t- a few days later. So, <laughs> but he's still following through with the whole yeah. candlestick thing. Yeah. So he's been working really hard and he has like a treasure. And so they call him pirate. Well, but here's my question about pirate, right? Mm-hmm. So he has this treasure of quarters, which is buried somewhere in the woods. It very specifically says Pilon is the only one who, like, figures out that he must have a treasure somewhere because Pilon pays attention to everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the whole town knows that he has a secret treasure somewhere. So why the fuck do they call him Pirate? <laughs> like, what is that about? That's a good question. I didn't think of that. <laughs> Yeah, Pilon is like that old biddy that sits on their porch and just yeah. like watches everyone's comings and goings, and he so, like, realizes no that else pirates realizes never spent. the pirate has the stash. Yeah. Pilon is like, oh, I put it together. He never spends the quarters. He must have all of these quarters somewhere. 
So it's not like that's why they call him pirate because he has a treasure <laughs> stash. Although that would make sense if people knew about it, but like that's not it. So why why is he called pirate? Like what is the situation? Maybe he only had one good leg and the other was just a piece of wood. <laughs> Or a hook for a hand, or an I feel eye like patch if that was of the some case, sort. One of those things that have been relayed to us, <laughs> the audience. Oh, he just—I I don't know. <laughs> it's just one of those nicknames that sticks. I mean, he's, he, of the people in this town, he's pretty much the only one who doesn't routinely steal things from people. So that's he true. Seems like the least—he's the least, the least pirate. Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least it was like pirate and not like simpleton or something. Like that. <laughs> not like Big Joe Portuguese. Yeah, not like that where yeah. his last there was name little... is just a racist term. <laughs> like not like that. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit more creativity put into <laughs> pirates' nickname. <laughs> and I also liked his dogs' names. Let me let me yes, find his dogs, dogs were the best. Um what chapter is pirate introduced in so i can uh i think it's chapter seven yes how danny's friends became a force for good (laughs) oh oh i found them okay yes so (laughs) go ahead and list off those dog names um so there's enrique pajarito rudolph fluff and senor alec thompson And they're very well-behaved dogs. They listen yeah. to everything Pirate says, and they share all the food Pirate can find. Because I guess, like, a lot of the people in the town feel bad for him, and so a lot of the restaurants would give him scraps and stuff. Yeah. So he was very well-fed. But he would split everything evenly between him and all of his dogs. Everyone got an even share. <laughs> so, so, of course, Danny's friends take advantage of poor Pirate. Oh, I found it. Sorry, I found why they call him Pirate. Oh, that's the dumbest reason ever. Go on. It gives a description of pirate, and then it says they called him the pirate because of his beard. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a dumb reason. That is such a stupid reason. There are so many other, like Harry, (laughs) or even like if we're going with, I don't know. I guess maybe this is more modern. Right, right, right. I was gonna say lumberjack. Maybe that's more of a modern thing. I don't associate beards with pirates particularly, but maybe they did back then. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But that's it. We solved the mystery. That is the, yeah. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. They know that pirate has this horde of quarters somewhere. So they get it into their minds that they're going to pretend to be pirates' friends and invite pirate to live with them because it'll be so much more comfortable with four men and five dogs all sleeping in one small house than it would be for Pirate and his dogs to have their own chicken coop, which, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They give him his own little corner of the house for him to sleep on the floor and cuddle with his dogs. Um, They tell these awful stories about how these hypothetical stories about how they've heard that people have hidden money in the woods before and how that money is always stolen and blah, 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 blah. And basically scare Pirate into digging up his treasure hoard and giving it to the men to protect but of course their plan backfires because then they all feel really bad and shitty about it so they do end up protecting his money for him <laughs> so like, it's kind of had a good moral like they didn't get to steal all his quarters for wine I, but i think their plan was just to make him get the money out so he would like spend it 
Oh, yeah. They and, like, to... give them some. I don't <laughs> think they wanted to straight up steal it from him, which is why then when he's like, oh, here, guys, now it's your job to protect the money, they were like, oh, this didn't work at all. Yeah, actually, we didn't want the responsibility. We just wanted right. the spending power. Right. Which, <laughs> which like we said, this book, the characters jump through so many mental hoops to justify their need to only purchase wine (laughs) they don't ever they steal everything else they only want to lawfully well i guess they're not even lawfully purchasing it because it's during prohibition but (laughs) from um what is the what is the wine maker's name torellini or something yeah something like that he's an italian who they call they continuously call a jew because he, yes. they find him to be miserly, so that's nice. Yep, yep. They don't call just him a Jew. They call each other a Jew. They call like mm. random women Jewesses. It's it's really cool and anti-Semitic. It's a lot of fun for everybody. Yes, yeah. We really enjoyed reading this book written in 1935 about <laughs> <laughs> all this anti-Semitism, but. Um, just casual anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure it was just all a joke. We just don't get it. We're just not <laughs> laughing. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? I don't remember. Um, we were talking about pirate and Oh, yeah. Orders. So I wanted to talk about this Tortellini, though. Tor- oh, okay. Tortellini? Tortellini? What is <laughs> I feel like it's Tortellini, but I also feel like it's probably not. That, and that's just That's I'm just hungry. pasta. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, it's Torelli. Close. <laughs> so we were all wrong. Um, <laughs> so I didn't understand really. So Torelli is the guy they they continuously go to to purchase wine. Yes. But he's he's not a barkeep because this is during Prohibition. I didn't understand really what his role in tortilla I think he's flat just was. A procurer of goods. Okay. Because. Mm-hmm. They also buy, he also buys like a blanket from them at some point. Oh, There's the whole right. thing with the wife buying the pants, although that's a little bit separate. I think, so I think he's kind of like a, a rum runner, wouldn't be quite the word because he's not moving the, <laughs> but I think he's. Wine walker. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I don't think he's like moving the product. I think he's just the end point of rum runners and wine smugglers uh, okay. give to him and then he distributes to the world. What a good guy. See, I felt really bad for Torelli this whole book. And yeah. he was he was the villain of the book because for, he... For about half a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk about that. resolved. <laughs> so Danny and his friends are constantly cheating Torelli out of money and harassing him and trying to sleep with his wife. And I think actually successfully sleeping yeah, with I'm his wife sure. on a couple occasions in order to obtain more wine. <laughs> Like Emma said, there was like there's a scene where one of the guys, I think it was Pilon, um, yes. steals Big Joe's pants right off of Big Joe's drunken body and goes to sell them for wine, and then immediately feels bad about it, and so goes and steals the pants back. <laughs> so like Torelli has has a lot of patience, which I guess maybe he felt like he didn't have an option because he was illegally selling alcohol. Right. But um he really put up with a lot from these guys. <laughs> and so he has this this big moment of villainy where Danny becomes uh disenfranchised, I guess, a little bit with being a homeowner. Like he just doesn't or not disenfranchised, he becomes disillusioned with yeah, being yeah. a homeowner. Um and 
goes through kind of this depressive slump where he hides from his friends in the woods, <laughs> steals all of his own things from himself and his friends to sell for wine, drinks all the wine himself. Um, <laughs> it just, like, is basically a nuisance to all of there's, Tortilla Flat. There's, like, a list of, like, these rumors of what Danny's been up to. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, like, oh, he, what was that? The phrasing was so weird. Let me find it real quick. Oh, yeah, okay. So, like, they're they're going through this list of things that Danny has been rumored to have done over mm-hmm. the, the last night or the last few nights. And they include... Danny was in a fight with some soldiers the night before last. Danny has been milking Mrs. Palachico's goat. And Danny <laughs> committed partial rape last night. Which, I don't know what partial rape is, but that seems like a pretty big deal. His yeah. friends are all kind of like, oh, this, this is a problem. And then Danny sneaks into the house at night and steals Pilon's shoes while he's sleeping. And they're like... <laughs> This is this has gone too far. <laughs> this, this asshole has crossed stand. the line. <laughs> and I'm like, really, you guys weren't worried about the the raping, but the shoe stealing. Yeah. that's that's the line. That yeah, mm-hmm. it's because it was he was stealing from his own friends. So. If Danny will steal the shoes of his friends. There is no crime he will stop at. <laughs> if I mean, yeah, we we crossed the line a while back, boys. It's. Uh... <laughs> It was the partial rape. Right. All of the rest of Tortilla Flats is like, guys, this is, like, I'm glad you're finally going to do something about this, but really? Really? Yeah. Like, my daughter's in therapy now. You... <laughs> they didn't have that back then. Right. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they just had to hurriedly marry the daughter off oh, because right, now right, she was right. sullied. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it all kind of culminates in Danny selling the house to Torelli for $25. And they write up this fakey receipt and um, bill, a bill of sale. And Torelli marches it to the house that the men are all still staying in. And is like, haha, you have to move because now I own the house. Here is the only proof that I own this house. But even before that, he has like this comical monologue where he's just by himself. It's as he, like he's <laughs> muttering to himself and he's like, nest of snakes. They are a pestilence. They're not so bad one on one, but all together, Lord, save me. I must destroy them. I must root them out from this earth. And I'm like, what is this comic? Like this guy has been basically a non-entity. He's just kind of a character who they steal from before Mm -hmm. this. And now suddenly he's coming up here like Iago in Othello, ranting about how he's going to have his revenge. Oh my gosh! Yeah, which honestly, I would have liked this. Nowhere. I would have liked this book so much more if it was all from Torelli's point of view. <laughs> Can we get that? Can you write that fanfic? <laughs> that tortilla flat fanfic. <laughs> It'd be so popular on Ao3. <laughs> Everyone is asking for it. I mean, <laughs> oh man! And so he he marches into the house and he's like, "This is the only proof of purchase I have." So they steal <laughs> it from him and burn it. And then Torelli's like, oh, shucks, guys. You beat <laughs> like, me. <laughs> the big moment of crisis immediately resolved. <laughs> yep. There was no threat whatsoever. No tension. <laughs> and um, Torelli continues to sell them wine. <laughs> After the fact. <laughs> right, right. Like, He's just like, well, I guess we'll just go back to this. That's yeah. <laughs> you got Which me. That was my bad, guys. I feel like these stories these like chapters were written as individual stories. Yeah. 
like because a lot of the a lot of them could be standalone mm-hmm. and it was that same kind of feeling where I feel like Steinbeck wrote certain parts of the book first and then came back so I feel like he wrote the ending of this where everybody's still buying wine from Torelli before he wrote this section where Torelli turns into a comic book villain (laughs) yeah I could see that it was it definitely felt like a really bad sitcom sort of (laughs) like where everything resets at the end of the episode and goes back to normal yes yeah But yeah, he's he's basically the only besides the 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 men themselves. Torelli is the only like negative force in this book. The rest yeah. is like just this lackadaisical look into these people's lives at a period of time where they owned a house, or they had <laughs> access to a house. I guess I should say. <laughs> oh, and then we forgot to talk about how Joe Portuguese came to live with them. Big Joe Portuguese. Guess guys, guess what? He's Portuguese. <laughs> well, I looked it up. I looked this up because I was like, what is up with the, the Portuguese thing? Mm-hmm. So I, I looked it up, and I guess Portuguese is kind of like a slur, so maybe we shouldn't be saying it, but oh, it's in gosh. this book. So I'm so I don't sorry. Know. Yeah, I sorry. did not realize. Right, right, right. Me too. Like, But I don't really know because it doesn't seem like a major slur. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I just thought it was kind of like that was how they said it, so it was, like, phonetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I thought, too. But then um, I did find that there are apparently a lot of Portuguese jokes that are mm. still, like, what I stumbled across a Yelp page that was like, hey, guys, I'm a throwing Yelp a page? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Stay with me. <laughs> okay, okay. I stumbled across a Yelp page where the or a post where the guy was like, hey, guys, I'm throwing a Portuguese party over the weekend. Oh. Anybody have any good Portuguese jokes? And I was like, what the fuck? This sounds like, so distasteful. This is so Can you leave and that like, user a bad Yelp review? Like, one star, you're an asshole. <laughs> well, and then all of these other people came in with all of these jokes, and they were essentially, like, I'd heard all the jokes before, but they were all blonde jokes. It was all oh blonde jokes, gosh. except with nationalities, instead of blondes being dumb, it was Portuguese people are dumb. And... Oh. This was from specifically someone in Hawaii, and all the people responding were Hawaiian. So Hello. I'm wondering if there's some situation in Hawaii where Portuguese people are considered super dumb. Like I don't, Ooh. I don't know what's going on with that. But it was very interesting. And then there were a couple other pages that were like Portuguese jokes, and I was like, oh, so this is this is like a thing in this certain is a places, thing. huh? Yeah. Yep. Wow, weird. I feel educated now. I did not know anything about that. I really no. just honestly thought it he was writing out phonetically how they were saying I, this guy's I nationality. I suspected from a lot of the other stuff in this book that there might be something racist behind it, but, you know. Because <laughs> he's also the darkest skinned of them, I'm pretty sure. They call him black multiple times, too. Oh, well, yeah. see, I, guess I missed out on all of that. I think that was probably, that was mid-book that he was introduced. So yes. at that point, I was like, uh, and just like going forward. But yeah, he was, a, he was a fun character. His <laughs> characterization was that he was stupid and wound up in jail a lot. Like that yeah, was his he, character. He liked being in jail because, well, specifically, he liked being in jail when not in the army. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the army, in jail, they made you do work. Yeah. Whereas in, in Tortilla Flats, when you go to jail, the jail keeper lets you get drunk. And, and then sometimes you lets you out of jail. <laughs> so different jailer. experiences. But it's okay, guys, because at the end of the book, he gets removed as the jailer anyway, and everyone makes a big stink out of it because now they don't <laughs> want to go to jail. 
<laughs> and everyone used to like going to jail. Yeah, because oh. that's where that's where John Steinbeck thinks these characters belong, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, they just enjoy jail so much. They, they don't must. mind being incarcerated. Yeah, they must. That's why they're there all the time. That's why Obviously. they keep doing these things. They must love Obviously. jail. That's the only explanation. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> so Big Joe is introduced as he is discharged from the army belatedly because he was in jail. And the first thing he does when he gets to Tortilla Flat is get very drunk, burn down a whorehouse, and then goes <laughs> back into jail. Uh, <laughs> so when he is finally released, the, the men have all been living together for a while, and he finds Pilon in the middle of the night in the walking towards the woods and Pilon tells him it is um St. Andrew's Eve. Oh <laughs> Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently is a night of the year where if you are in the woods, you can see a faint like moonbeam or some sort of glowing light mm-hmm. which marks a treasure spot and you can dig up treasure that night and become rich because I guess a lot of there were a lot of shipwrecks around Monterey and Tortilla Flat that allows this to be a thing? I don't know. I didn't understand it. (laughs) So these two team up. Um, They do find a glowing spot in the woods, but instead of digging it up that night, because they said, oh, everyone's out and about tonight, let's not dig this up. Let's not dig up the treasure tonight. Let's wait until tomorrow night to dig up the treasure. They hang out in the woods for a day, dig up the treasure, but it's like some sort of government thing like uh, i i didn't understand yeah the... i think it was some sort of survey thing like um yeah a geo geodetic survey yeah which was basically just a slab of concrete so i don't know it was like this very weird like randomly magical realistic sort of chapter of this book where or, or they were just very drunk and thought that they saw a glowing light. The <laughs> but the fact that they were able to dig something up is pretty funny. I guess. I guess. But apparently it's a crime to dig up these slabs of concrete that the United States government left in the ground for whatever reason. And so they get really upset, drink a bunch of wine, and Big Joe is somehow invited to live with these men in the aftermath. Yeah. So those are our characters. John Steinbeck likens them to Arthur and his round table. Right, which I did at the not beginning of the book. Get. I do yeah. not understand. Yeah, they weren't very chivalrous. They weren't very. I don't understand. Here's the thing. I don't. They didn't go on quests. Right. I don't know. Everybody. And here's the thing. Even now, like people, when they're talking about this, they're like, "Oh, it's like King Arthur, but with Pisanos." And I'm like, "But it's not though, because it has absolutely fuck all to do with that. There's no similarities <laughs> besides that it's." a guy who gets a bunch of people together and they're, they kind of live together sort of, which like not really super clear, you know, like, yeah, it's just kind of a mess, which to me also, to me, I'm like, this does have a somewhat similar feel to an ancient English balladry tradition. If we mm-hmm. want to tie it to something, which is fucking Robin hood. Like, yes, exactly. Why Robin did, hood. Yeah. Why I would have been so much Arthur? more on board with that. I mean, like, right. yes, yeah, steal from those I mean, rich people, steal from Torelli who right. hashtag Torelli did nothing wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> I get one of those in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very, I don't understand why he decided and feel like he wrote this and he's like, 
had all of these weird interludes where they start talking in old English, which is not yes. very good old English, but they start saying thee and thou and thine and such. Yes, I was just about to mention that. It's so uh, annoying. And and he wrote the whole thing, and he's like, wait, why did I have these characters do this? This isn't how they would talk. Why Kinda. do they randomly know Latin? Right, and he's like, I guess, I don't know, I'll just say it's like King Arthur's Court or something. That'll <laughs> that'll explain it. And then he just tacked that on to the end. Cause yeah, yeah. It, it has nothing to, it's, there's no... Lancelot figure there's no Guinevere stand-in you know yes there's no great love at all and I don't know like I read someone's synopsis of how like Danny starts out as Arthur and then his more erratic behavior makes him Lancelot towards the end of it and I was just like mm, but no I right. don't know I mean by that standard like everything is a King Arthur analogy yeah like oh Harry Potter, you know, books one through four, Harry Potter's totally Arthur. And then book five, Arthur's or Harry Potter's Lancelot because he, he becomes... behaves erratically. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, yeah, it was a very loose connection. I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of dudes that piled around together and right. had, like, misadventures, I guess. But there wasn't anything epic or grand. Maybe that, maybe that's the point. Like it wasn't, it was epic and grand to them, but not to anyone else. But I don't know. It was, yeah, very loose connection to me. Yeah. Did we talk about how this book actually ends? Oh yeah. We can mention how the book ends. Um, Danny fucking jumps off a cliff and dies. And then they burned the first house A gets burnt down because it was the end of an era. So, like, I mean, surely we'll have no need for that. Like, so after he has this whole like spell of going out and committing crimes and getting super drunk, they bring him home and he's all sad sack about whatever. I guess he the pressures of being a homeowner and the responsibility (laughs) that weighs down on him is too much. So they decide to throw Danny the biggest party that anyone has ever seen. And for some reason, Olive Tortilla Flat gets behind this party effort, even though all of these men have done is steal from them (laughs) and annoy them and have sex with them and then leave them for high and dry. Like, there was nothing in this book that would show that these men have been have built up any goodwill towards any of these other <laughs> citizens of Tortilla Flat. But for some reason, they all rally together to host the greatest party with, like, what was it, like, 45 gallons of wine and so much <laughs> food and decorations and everything and music. Danny gets rip-roaring drunk at this party and then violently drunk, and he runs off, and when they find him, he's at the bottom of a 40-foot cliff, and they bring him back to the home, and he dies. That was that, it was very anticlimactic. He, his funeral is a few days later, but none of his friends, none of his roomies could attend the funeral because their clothes weren't nice enough. And they didn't want to dishonor Danny's memory by attending a funeral in garbage clothes. So they hid in the grass of, of the cemetery and watched the funeral from afar <laughs> and then went back. And because they didn't want anyone else to live in this house that they had so many good memories in, they burnt it to the ground. <laughs> and that is how the book ends. Um, can we talk about the dead baby chapter? Oh my god, I totally forgot about that until you just... <laughs> I read that so late at night that it was <laughs> like, to was me, it? it felt like a fever dream. Like, 
<laughs> what was that? What was, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm sure there's like a symbol or theme or something, or like the baby is Danny. I don't know. But essentially, there, so there's a bunch of chapters, where, like episodic sort of chapters where stuff happens. Yes. And like you said, kind of like a sitcom, everything gets wrapped up at the end of the chapter. Um, mm-hmm. But in this one particular one, this young man shows up in town um, he's sitting like on a curbside waiting for a job and Jesus Maria finds him and Jesus Maria is like the nice one of the group. He's about to be arrested and Jesus Maria talks the officer out of it and takes this boy home to the house and the boy has a baby with him and he tells him this whole story. The baby's sick and he tells him this whole story about how he was in the army in Mexico and he mm-hmm. became a corporal and then he married this a pretty young girl who they had the baby together and then she left him for a captain and now he's traveled here to find work and he wants the baby to grow up to be a general and then they're like okay this baby is sick this baby needs a doctor and then the baby dies and that's yes like the chapter it was and then so he leaves. weird he fucks off and he's not in the rest of the book like, yeah, he's he like, well, be... I guess I gotta go back home now right I thought he was gonna be like their new roommate he Me was gonna too. be the depressing one or something but no, that no. was Danny. <laughs> so that ended up being Danny. Yeah, he just like fucked off, and I was like, okay. And I, I assume just left the dead baby there. Yeah, they I'm didn't assuming. discuss what they did with the dead right. baby's body. Whatever. I don't know. They just covered it up with the blanket and ignored it for the rest of the book. I guess <laughs> it's just sitting in this house along with the like eighteen blue chalk circles because every day they draw a blue chalk circle for where the dogs are <laughs> where supposed the to dogs sit. are allowed to be. Well, the dogs like, probably ate the baby then. Oh. oh. <laughs> I mean I don't know I mean there was nothing they didn't mention anything else this whole episode it was just yep that's the end of the chapter we're never gonna discuss this it again was it was bizarre so and weird. it was like they described the way the baby died and like yes. they, they looked it in on it lot. they put it in a box and they like looked in on it to check on it and it was seizing and the guy the, the dad of the baby was like he's probably fine like, he was not concerned at all that his like, child know, was dying. I know that that whole episode has to be an allegory for something, but I cannot figure out what it is. I don't know if I care enough to figure out what it is. <laughs> I don't. Let's look at, let me Google tortilla flat dead baby. <laughs> let's see what I get. Safe search off. I mean, it just had the feel of, like, when you read, like, an allegorical story where you're like, oh, I'm trying to think. There's one by Bram Stoker that's very similar mm-hmm. where um, it's, like, two kids and they end up killing each other. It, it's a whole thing. But um, the same way, I'm like, this has to mean something because it's so bizarre otherwise. Yeah. Well, and it, well, like, the second chapter also of Grapes of Wrath where it's, mm, like, yeah. it's all about the great depression but right. really it's just a turtle on its, it's back right but you read that and even if you don't know that that's oh this is about the great depression because you haven't studied that era enough or whatever you know it's about something like the way it's phrased you're like this means he's trying to tell me about something i just don't know what it I, is and yeah. that's how i felt about this like i was like is this about like american relationships with mexico is this I don't know. I felt like this was some political commentary or some allegory of something, and I don't know what it was. But so all we're left with is this weird dead baby story. Yeah, I, and even Spark Notes isn't helpful. I'm looking at the Spark Notes right now. It's no. like their analysis of this situation is that the baby was not worthy to take milk from the goat. Oh yeah, so they they go and they quote unquote borrow milk from um, one of their neighbor's goats, and borrow is the term that they 
used, used for to, steel. Yeah, to steal. <laughs> and the baby is not worthy to take milk from the goat to satisfy its hunger, so it could be sacrificed. I don't know. I don't understand this. I don't. <laughs> it's all very confusing. If you know what is up with the dead baby in this book, please, please write us. Please tell us. Please tell us the, what is going on. Sparknotes also says the similarity to a story about the Knights of the Rounds table, Round Table is also evident, but they don't tell us what story. I'm not familiar. <laughs> Yeah, please. What story is that? What dead baby story was there in? Let me look up dead baby King Arthur. <laughs> These Google searches are going to be awesome. <laughs> um, not getting too much. Cause of death of Arthur, that's not what I want. Mordred, that's clearly not it. Um, I've got Arthur impregnates his sister and tries to drown their incest baby. But that doesn't really mm. seem analogous. Yeah, because this baby was already halfway dead by the time they met it. And there was no incest involved. Which, like, makes me question, was this guy not feeding his baby? Or... I don't know. I what? don't know. He was... it, this whole situation is so questionable. And, I mean, just in general, the fact that his wife ran off and left the baby and didn't seem to give a single fuck, yeah. that was never explained. Maybe she didn't like you to begin with, dude. I don't know. So, and here's here's the chapter of, or you know how they he does like the synopsis synopsis of yeah, the chapters. The, what do you call the? I don't know, like the, the chapter, chapter titles, subheadings. Uh, it's not really a title. It's like a. I think it's just a long title. Okay. Well, the long title of chapter ten is how the friends solaced a corporal, and in return received a lesson in paternal ethics. Um, what? Well, the, less, the lesson <laughs> ethics was that he wanted the baby to be a general, not so that he, because the friends all thought he wanted the baby to be a general so the baby could grow up and have revenge on the captain. Like, mm-hmm. he just wanted the baby to be a general so that the baby would have a better life than oh. him or the captain. So that's what they learned was you should want good things for your children, which is like, that's a fine moral, but also it really doesn't have anything to do with anything else in this book. Well, and maybe one of those good things for your child should be like food. Feeding it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Seems suspect. Well, they also, I was very confused from the beginning of this because they described him as a boy when they introduced mm-hmm. him. But then they're like, oh, he's a corporal. He was in the army. And I'm like, okay, how old is this guy supposed to be? I, yeah. I didn't know how old any of them were supposed to be. Well, Danny, uh, it says at the beginning that he signed up for the war, I think, when he was 25. Okay. So, older than 25. Okay, so probably 30 or close to it. Yeah. Younger than 50, because 50 is essentially dead. Yeah, according to this book, not us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, to be clear. (laughs) Um, Along the lines of weird episodes of this book is... The, also the story about how Big Joe found love. What was that? That was... <laughs> I don't know this, what was going on there. This chapter of the book where it's raining really, really hard. And Big Joe stumbles upon this woman's front porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tia Ignacia is her name. And she invites him in and drinks wine with him. And like is really dropping all the hints that she wants to sleep with him. But Big Joe is oblivious to all of it, drinks the wine, and falls asleep. So she starts, like, beating him up. He wakes up and runs off, and she chases him, and she chases him, and it's still raining outside until suddenly they're not chasing each other. She's not chasing him anymore. She's having sex with him. 
and a police officer pulls <laughs> up and the sees them having sex in the middle of the street and is just like, well, get out of the road and then drives away and that's the story. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's such a weird series of events. Like tell me what what is the allegory there for for the uh King Arthur? Um I, I mean, don't know. I, know. I feel like that one actually you could probably get to King Arthur a little bit easier because there's some weird sex stuff up in there. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot of like sleeping with other men's wives and yeah. maidens and stuff in King Arthur. I don't, I guess I don't recall a story where it was like the woman being very aggressive towards the man, but uh, I could I be mean, wrong. I guess, I'm not as I familiar. I guess you could argue like Sir Gawain kind of, but that's all mm-hmm. part of a trick. So like, not really at all, but she is aggressive in that one. Yeah. But only is that the because, Green Knight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. her husband tells her to be aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she had permission. This woman was yeah, single. Yeah, this woman was just going for She it. had no man in her life to tell her who she couldn't, couldn't have sex with. Kind of the standard in Tortilla Flat is that these women marry men or, you know, get into partnerships with men. And it's kind of understood by everybody that it's only going to be for a little while. Yeah. But there is no such thing as an actual, like, long-term relationship in this no. community. No. Yeah, they um, refer to it as being very close friends. Yeah. And, I mean, like, even when, when they do get married, usually the guy runs off shortly after. Like, in the case of, um, <laughs> what's her face? The one with 18 children. Oh, gosh. Um, Teresina. Teresina. Yeah. Where Who she has... Her children only beans. Where she literally has a child born in the course of Steinbeck telling the story yeah he's like giving the background on her and he's like oops and while I've been telling the story she just had another child and I'm yeah. like oh, you're being obnoxious <laughs> and, and at the end of the end of the chapter two they make a comment of like uh Teresina discovered that she was pregnant again but she didn't know which of Danny's friends was responsible right like, well because hmm. her first her first kid that she has she has when she's 14 and she abandons it and never mm-hmm. talks about it again and then mm-hmm. she gets married at 16 and has two kids with her husband who then leaves. Yes. And then she just, from there on. And then she just on, keeps having children. She just, uh, they, and she just doesn't know where they're coming from. They're just, yeah. they're just springing forth. It's a mystery. It's completely unclear who the father is of any of them. We need better sex education. <laughs> in Tortilla Flats, specifically. <laughs> but yeah, that was essentially this book. It's just these weird stories that left you, like, really questioning reality by the end of it. Because you <laughs> Didn't know if what you just read was actually real life. <laughs> like, do, do people actually, like, this was this was John Steinbeck's first acclaimed hit. work. Yeah, it was, it was his first, first hit. smash hit, Tortilla yeah. Flat. But why, though? Like, what about this was appealing other than that it was exotic, you know? like Yeah, I think that's honestly it. I think that people were like, ooh, these strange people who have different lives than me and look how quaint they are with their yeah. stealing of things and they're having children out of wedlock and oh, love their to be in jail. Like, girl. <laughs> you need to get out a little bit more if that's the case. Right. Like. <laughs> which, I mean, this, this brings up the thing that I kind of want to discuss, which was, is it possible for a writer to write about a culture that is not their own? Mm. in a way that doesn't totally suck because that's a very good question I feel like in general when the culture is the focus of the story Mm -hmm. that should 
kind of be stories that are left to people from that culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you're writing a story about someone and, oh, they happen to be Latina or Latino, cool, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. if the point of your story is let's engage with and explore this culture, you should yeah. probably be from that culture, right? Like, Yeah, I feel I feel like that's the case. I, to me, I know a lot of authors make this attempt and can do so in a respectful manner with, you know, mixed results. <laughs> but I I do think it is very important that we also have books written by, um, you know, our own voices, sort of. Yeah. Um, points of view. And that, like, surely, I guess to me, when you sit down to write a book, like, that's the story that you're meant to tell. And, like, really, that's the one you chose, like, out of... <laughs> You could think of any other ideas. You gotta. But I mean, it worked for him, so. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, of Mice and Men success. came out two years after this book was written, so. Yeah. Which you know that one also did well, so maybe he just should have published that one. I well, I mean, like I, I want to give him some credit for trying to. Well, I don't want to give him credit, but yeah. I, I well, don't and know. that's another question too. I guess is like. This book was written in 1935 about a period of time that took place directly after World War One. Like, how much leeway can you give an author from that time period for writing in the manner that they did? Like, is it fair to to say like you get you get a pass because that time period sucked for non-white people? Right, right. I think the thing is that we like to excuse uh, authors a lot of the time of being like, oh. They just didn't know better, and they're a product of their culture, mm. but there are authors who wrote about other cultures and didn't do it in a shitty manner mm, mm-hmm. that are from the same time period, you know, like, like the kind of the, the example that I think of a lot is um, talking about Native Americans. Mm-hmm. You have stuff like Last of the Mohicans, which is not as super, on, I would say is not as super racist as this book, but does have problems in the way it handles mm-hmm. Native American characters. Um, But then you have something like Hope Leslie, which is also about a very similar time period and written at a very similar time period and deals with similar issues, but is way more respectful of the Native American characters. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that a lot of times when you actually dig, you find that the, the idea that, oh, they just didn't know they're just a product of their environment it mm-hmm. it's kind of a cop-out I feel like they're, yeah. they could have they could have gotten educated they're, they could have been more woke they could have been yeah <laughs> they could have been less <laughs> exploitative yeah 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 that's true I think he definitely plays on that like goofball kind of don't take these people seriously because they don't have any serious problems sort of um What's the word I'm looking for? I lost my train of thought. He's bad. This is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Was there anything you liked in this book? What was your silver lining? Oh, my God. I don't (laughs) think... I don't think I had one. Like, I... Maybe some of the language, like, I I read parts of this aloud to Michael because he so desperately wanted me to read it, um, (laughs) where he was, and he he made a comment like, yeah, you know, that is pretty racist, but I don't think a lot of authors would have taken the time to be so poetic about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, the writing's, you know, good. 
Um, yeah. And honestly, it's... like I said, I didn't hate this book on the level of hatred that I've had for some of the other books we've read. I, I was Ogus, fine. Ogus. I was fine reading it. I was annoyed by the stuff in it, but the actual, because the writing was good, the actual mm. process of reading it wasn't terrible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it did give me my favorite uh, description of a friend since the many uh, Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins descriptions on Parks and Rec. I would say oh. it's up there with those. Go on. When Danny first meets up with Pilon, he says, Pilon, he cried. Pilon, my little fat duck of a baby friend. <laughs> Which, like, honestly, this book was kind of worth it just for that line. <laughs> but it's at the beginning, though. You have to read the rest is. of it. So I should have stopped there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also did not relate to anyone in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was having a hard time. Um, yeah, maybe the dogs, because, you yeah, know, dogs I, can't do anything bad. I was kind of, I kind of felt like Pirate was kind of the one who I would most want to be like if I had to pick mm. one of the characters to be like, mm-hmm. just because he seems like he's a good dog owner. He seems like he's got his life sorted out a lot more than a lot of these guys. He's got goals. He, meets he was hardworking. Yeah. So of the group of friends, I'd probably go with Pirate, but... Of the characters that I actually felt most like, it would probably be like the dead baby or something. <laughs> just all of these parental expectations, and then I just die. And you're there to serve as some moral lesson, but we don't <laughs> to know everyone why. else, but no one really knows what to make of it. <laughs> oh my god! So, did you have a uh, a book that you would have rather been reading? This oh my week? gosh! Yes, hundred yeah. percent. I do have a specific book, though, that <laughs> my friend um, just purchased for me as a wonderful gift. Ooh. We've been talking about this book for forever and been very, very curious about it. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get a lot of judgment for this one, but um, don't cur. I want to read it. It sounds <laughs> fascinating. It is called Bear by Marion Ingle. What is it? Bear. I have it right here. Oh. Hold on. Am I actually, hold on, let me make sure I have it on camera. I don't. Okay. Yes. Bear by Marion Ingle. And I don't know if you can see on the cover that bear and then like the naked oh, arm yeah, wrapped yeah, around the, the bear. Is this, Anna, is this a furry book? I, okay, listen. <laughs> Anna. This is written, apparently has won Canada's highest um, award for literature. Uh-huh. She's one of Canada's most celebrated authors, okay. and this was her last book and also most controversial. It's about a woman who falls in love with a bear and pursues Anna, a sexual a relationship book. with it. And it sounds Anna. so bizarre. I can't wait to Anna, read it. Anna, this is a furry book. Perhaps it, it will be my gateway drug. Oh, but, you know, no, I Anna. almost chose it for um, this week's or this Fortnite's challenge because I really mm. wanted to read it and I thought you would hate it, but um, they you can only get it in print and it's <laughs> so I didn't want to have to make you buy a physical copy of a book. <laughs> yeah, no, but we don't do that. We don't roll like that. Super short, 122 pages, oh. um, and apparently features a scene where the main character, the main female character, puts honey on her genitalia. No, no, no. <laughs> Anna. It just sounds so bizarro. I'm just like, I'm just like curious. I'm very right. curious. Well, you'll have about to read it book. and report back and tell us what your new persona is. 
Okay. <laughs> I will do this. I will report back next fortnight because hopefully I'll have read it by then. I have promised to read it to this friend um, aloud a chapter a night. So that's precious. We'll both be educated on our personas. Great. <laughs> I whatever I I will I will defend this book. It is won a very. You haven't even read it. It has won a prestigious Governor General's Award of Canada. So all right, you keep showing it to the camera. No, because I'm reading the back. This is hilarious. The last sent the last two sentences or the last few sentences, I guess, of the synopsis. By page twenty, our librarian, because of course the main character is a librarian. Our librarian has met the bear and wondered if the bear would be good company. The bear is indeed good company. Oh my god! Company, shocking company. I just want the experience. I just want to be able to say I've read it. Yeah, what trash would you rather be reading? (laughs) (laughs) I've got two this week. Um, One of them uh, I'd rather be reading because I'm supposed to be reading it for a class right now and I'm really behind. I chose to read this instead of, uh, I chose to read Tortilla Flat instead of it, so now I'm even further behind. But it's Madame Bovary, (laughs) which I've read before and I actually enjoy and think is a pretty good classic. Oh, wow. Um, So that's kind of my one that sort of goes along with what we were reading this week and that I mean, I guess they're both classics, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But then the actual thing that I would really, 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 really rather be reading right now mm-hmm. is uh, Tempest and Slaughter, which okay. is the newest book by Tamora Pierce. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh. I forgot that came out. Oh. I need oh. that. In my and it's it's the Numere book. It's the one that is based on the love interest for her second oldest like book series, his pro, <sighs> like his his prequel. And she's been talking about writing it for like over a decade. And I've literally been waiting to read it for over a decade. And oh it just God. came out. It's been out so and... long since she's come out with a new book. Uh, well, she's come out with a few. Um, or a I'm new series, I guess I should say. Yeah, maybe. I think her last series. Well, and even this one. I mean, it's in the Tortal universe. I mean, mm-hmm. they all are, you know, except yeah. they're in the Circle universe. Anyway, uh, this is getting, you know, whatever, too much into it. But um, to anybody who listens to this podcast more than a couple episodes probably realizes that my tendency to pick books leans towards speculative fiction and Tamora Pierce was one of the first speculative fiction Mm -hmm. writers that I ever got into she's like one of my favorite authors of all time I love her book so 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 much and this book has literally been a book that she has been talking about writing for over a decade and it's about the backstory for one of her characters from her second uh series in the Tortal universe and I love him so much and I just want to read this book <laughs> and I have it in my possession. It is sitting ah. down on the coffee table and I couldn't read it because I had to read fucking Tortilla Flat. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is like the most disappointing thing I've ever heard in my life. All right. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for this book. Since Thank I challenged God. you this week, that means next fortnight it is your turn to challenge me. Do you have a book that you would like to, that you think I, I'll hate? I do. I do. I do. And I think you'll hate it for a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, the first of which is it's a genre we have not explored yet. Okay. Um, while we have done a young adult novel or two on the podcast, we have not done a scary book or a oh, no. meant to be scary book. <laughs> it's, a, it's a YA novel, so I'm not sure how scary it will be. And it's actually a book that's been subject of a little bit of controversy online just simply because people were very disappointed in it I think okay um, it didn't live up to standards so um are you familiar with Stephanie Perkins uh yeah it sounds familiar what else has she written <laughs> 
she uh, has no, also... she's Anna and the French Kiss and that's it. Yes, Anna and the French Kiss. Um, Lola and the boy next door. Lola the boy next door. And I love the happily Josh, ever I'm... after. Yeah, I hated that one. Um, the first two were all right, though. Um, Anna so, the French yes, Kiss. So, yes, this great. is a contemporary horror novel written by romance author Stephanie Perkins called There's Someone Inside Your House. Oh. <laughs> so let's go on uh, to the Goodreads synopsis of There's Someone Inside Your House. Love hurts. Makani Young thought she'd left her dark past behind her in Hawaii, settling in with her grandmother in landlocked Nebraska. That sounds awful, first of all. <laughs> what a downgrade. Sorry, Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> She's found new friends and has even started to fall for mysterious outsider Ollie Larson. But her past isn't far behind. Then, one by one, the students of Osborne Hugh begin to... D- Osborne Hugh? Is that supposed Osborne to be Osborne High? High? Probably. I don't know. Typo, Goodreads. Come on, Goodreads librarians. Get on it. Um, the students of Osborne Hugh High begin, begin to die in a series of gruesome murders, each with increasingly grotesque flair. As the terror grows closer and her feelings for Ollie intensify, Makani is forced to confront her own dark secrets. See, it's interesting because I pulled this up on her um, website as you uh-huh. read it along. And literally, there is no mention of this Ollie character in the synopsis she has on oh. her website. Weird. It's like comp- like scrubbed. Every time you mentioned him, it's not mentioned at all. So I'm wondering what that's about. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe, it's, I guess maybe her publisher wanted to go one, one way yeah. and she wanted to go another. But um I don't know. I'm 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 excited to read it for the podcast. A lot of the uh, people I follow on Goodreads that normally read young adult literature have given it pretty low reviews. <laughs> um, um, I'm excited that we're doing a horror novel. I can't. It kind of yeah. surprises me. It took us this long to get to one because when we first sat down and talked about types of books that we hated, that was like my number one thing was scary stories because I get scared Mm -hmm. very very easily so either (laughs) this book is going to be good but I will still hate it because I'll be scared the whole time or Mm -hmm. it will just be terrible like everything else we read yeah I'm hoping for a total cheese fest (laughs) (laughs) so there's that to look forward to um the cover of the book is like hot pink so I don't know yeah again this doesn't bode well for the scariness of it but no But we'll I'm looking forward out. to it. It will be. It should be a fun hate read instead of yeah. just an angry hate read. Yeah, which is how I felt about this book. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this Fortnite's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys know what the deal is with Hawaii and the Portuguese, or if you know what the allegory is supposed to be in that dead baby <laughs> scene, uh, feel free to write us. Uh, you can email us. Uh, haterecast at gmail.com mm-hmm. um, you can also always tweet at us at hatereadcast on twitter <laughs> yeah and 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 if, if if you send us some lovely fan mail we will read it on the podcast yes uh, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts wherever this is coming from yes um, on itunes on stitcher on google play music on soundcloud on we're Pocket on Cast. so we're many things everywhere. you guys are everywhere <laughs> We still have four listeners. <laughs> On that t-shirt you're about to make us one of the four <laughs> listeners. 
we're everywhere. Thanks as always to Ben Cope for providing our intro and outro music. You guys can check out a link to his YouTube in the show notes below. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We we appreciate it. We love having you here. Mm-hmm. We hope you stay. <laughs> <laughs> and in the words of John Steinbeck, thou knowest not what bitches women are. <laughs> Yes, I was just reminded of at Goody Reds, (laughs) which again, I don't know if that's a past episode or a coming up episode. Oh gosh, I can't remember. Goody Red. Goody Red. I don't remember. Oh well. Oh well, we'll find out. Yep, as will our listeners.